Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome. What a privilege it is to be on, let me say. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast and for a 100th edition we are delighted to be joined by Mr Ed Miliband. Hello Ed. Happy 100th birthday. Thank you very much. You don't look a day over 80. Well I hear that all the time. <laughs> That's Paul anyway. And now Ed, I think we're going to, I'm also joined by Paul War, of course the uh, political editor here. Uh, but Ed, I feel like I should just let you take over because you are the man with the, this is the number one podcast. Don't well, like you don't check your phone every five seconds. To I check. do. I definitely do. We're competing. Unfortunately, with this week has been marked by Brexit cast from the BBC doing rather well owing to Theresa May making such a haul of the country uh, and uh, and the Brexit negotiations and uh, and so they've sort of they've received a boost, but. I think his name Dino. Is that his yes, name? Yeah, yeah, From, yeah. We're we're sort of in slightly in a sort of tweet war about about who's who's doing better. But it's all <laughs> it's rather interesting the iPhones chart because it's done on uplift, not numbers. It's not actually overall numbers. It's how many extra followers yeah, you get right. each week. Because we've see, got, I've we've got, got into this in yeah. some detail. <laughs> we've got we've got like so, two million listeners a week. Well, but they started from week one exactly so as, as a sort of is. steady exactly. huge success. Exactly. The HuffPost podcast doesn't necessarily get its deserved rewards in terms of chart position. At least exactly. that's my explanation on your exactly. behalf. Uh, and that's Ed Miliband saying employers. that, so it must be right. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Now, can we ask you a bit about what, what, is it, what is it about podcasts that attracts you? What is it you think that attracts listeners? And why political podcasts in particular have suddenly become popular? Yeah, I don't know. Um, what, what, why was I interested in doing it? Because, it, you know, ours is... Reasons to be cheerful, in case people don't know. <laughs> Downloadable okay. on all good podcast apps. Uh, it is tries to combine uh, sort of serious ideas, and we try and do an idea each week which can make the country better, which is what I care about. When I resigned as leader, I said, you know, you can find different ways of taking forward the things you care about. We try and combine that with uh, a bit more, you know, it's, it's light as well as, as serious. And I think it's quite important that it isn't sort of deadly dull. Here's I'm going to eat my spinach. You know what I mean? And I think and I think I think it's sort of that combination of um, serious subject, but done hopefully in an accessible way with a bit of uh, humour um, uh, alongside it, which I think is good. And there's something interesting about the format, isn't there? Which is that it feels like. A chat, uh, you know, in your living room. Um, you know, it, it doesn't feel like a sort of. It's it, it, it's sort of getting away from. You know, I, I leader of the opposition. I did lots of political interviews with both of you, including with both of you. And you know, a political interview is you're going to be asked some difficult questions by some pesky person. Yeah, um, gotcha moment. You've got your message you want to try and get across, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this, you know, I think what podcasts give is a very different way of of going about. Political, political community, or communication, basically. Yeah, and is it is it the intimacy of it as well as the format that you're you're literally in someone's ear as they're commuting or as they're as they're doing their washing up or as they're doing it's a good point know, running. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's the intimacy of it, and I think it's... Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's also... Look, it's, it's quite interesting for me, because to some extent I'm in... Control is like a control freak, but you know, you we're in control of the format and what yeah. we do. You get a choice about what you do. Uh, I, I like the immediacy of it. I like the fact that you think, well, what what idea are we interested in doing? Let's do it, and you and you can get it out there within a few days. Yeah. And you know, you get feedback. I, I like the interactivity of it. I'm sure you get lots yeah. of people emailing you about you know tweeting at you about your. Um, what you don't do on your podcast, I think that is, and I think I think that that immediacy, the intimacy, but the the the, the two way feedback, I think is a, um, is, is, and it's fun. You know, I, I sort of uh, my co presenter Jeff Lloyd, who deserves a lot of credit because it was his idea. Actually, the reasons to be cheerful was his idea, and the and the sort of concept was his idea. Um, you know, I get on really well with him, and we have a good dialogue. And in a way, it's sort of in, you must find this the two of you when you do this. You know, your sort of relationship kind of evolves and you yeah. become more comfortable with sort of doing it yeah. know, together and we're we're thinking of eloping to the highlands together so you know it's, it's <laughs> going that it's way. going that well, just, just for the record oh congratulations so there's no there's no eloping with Paul for you uh, um but um yeah so so that's sort of you know that jeff was somebody who interviewed me in the 2015 election that's yeah. how it all started and there's a sense of positivity about your podcast. definitely i mean isn't that what do you think that says the fact that that's become popular in particularly in the age we live in that you know you literally reasons to be cheerful is what people want to tune into well i think that lots of people feel quite gloomy about the country because of brexit but because uh well, a whole range of reasons um and the world because of Trump, and I think it's and I think it's sort of saying to people, which I genuinely believe, and this is what's I think really interesting about the political moment we're in. Now, there's a mo- it's a moment of great peril, I think, for the country, but I think it is actually a moment of possibility as well, in the sense of lots of ideas are on the table now. I think it's partly to do with what happened in 2017 at the election and Jeremy's much greater success than anyone expected. I think it's kind of widened the sense of what's politically possible. So like we did on our first episode, the universal basic income, which is this idea of, you know, you replace the means-tested welfare with just a flat rate payment to everybody. It's often been seen as a sort of fantasy idea that's going to remain in the textbooks or the sort of, you know, the utopians. And the fact that it's being talked about seriously, we could talk about it seriously, you know, I think it shows in a way the way that the political possibilities have expanded. And I think people want to know, are there big, you know, there are, that there are big ideas that can make the country better. Yeah. Is it refreshing for you, having been leader of the opposition, and I imagine trying to get a message out, perhaps he has to get signed off by lots of people, you have to sort of focus a bit I blame the advisors myself, And you're absolutely right to it. But now, now you, you said you don't need to do that, there's, there's an immediacy to it. Is that nice to have that sort of freedom to sort of just chuck ideas out there and not have to worry yes. too much? Yes, I mean, look, I don't, I think it's really important to say this, that when you know people say on Twitter sometimes, oh, I wish he could have been like this when he was leader of the opposition, <laughs> I blame the advisors. If you don't blame the advisors, blame me. I mean, you know, I take responsibility for everything that happened in those four and a half years. Um, you know, but um, what you know, what, what what would I say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes is the answer. Um, it, look, it's a, it's a different. It's just a different. It's a whole different enterprise. And you know, I'm not constrained in the way that I was. And some of those constraints were probably excessively self-imposed, and some of them are real. You know, I did a tweet the other week. Um, 
saying Donald Trump's an absolute moron, you know, and <laughs> okay, lots of people liked the tweet. Um, there was a context. It was because he was spreading false stuff about the crime figures in Britain and saying it was all to do with radical Islamic terrorism. You know, Jeremy Corbyn, you know, no doubt he kind of agreed with me. I uh, know that he said that, but to me, but you know, he can't tweet that yeah. what an absolute moron, you know, and that's just and that's Jeremy Corbyn, you know, who probably feels less constrained than I feel, <laughs> you know, uh, felt. So, so there are constraints, and and you know, as I say, some of them are self-imposed and some of them are real. Yeah. Um, about about the. Um, uh, about the job, but this this only this week. You, yes, you, your your lip smacking mm. Pepsi type tweet, tweet lip smacking thirst quenching ace testing, but yeah. actually it was in a different context about the government. Um, got a hundred and more than a hundred thousand likes on Twitter. Yeah, and indeed, a um, member of the cabinet just said to me, "What did he say?" I won't name him. Very restrained tweet. He said to me. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, what, what was behind that? Was that just you picking up the phone one morning, thinking, "Right, yep, I've got to yep, alert this out." Yep. You know, I, I, I basically I sort of woke up. The we we voted late on uh, Brexit on Monday night, and uh, I sort of woke up the next morning. I was listening to the radio, as I'm sure lots of people were. Um, and I was hearing some, I think it was a former minister, uh, sort of saying, oh, something, it made it sound like, you know, the, the UP were running the country. Um, and I just thought, oh, for goodness sake, and just the whole, the whole fiasco of, of, you know, Manic Monday. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, really and truly, so I, I don't know. And, and it's true, I couldn't, have, I wouldn't have done that tweet. Yeah. But was it, was a sense of catharsis in doing it and just being able to just do that quickly? It's, it's. Like podcasts, Twitter's cheap, it's quick, it's very accessible. And, and it's not filtered by journalists like us who will take the third thing and put it first and copy all that kind of stuff. It's just such a, it's such a direct connection, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's absolutely true, although most people will hear about my tweet to the extent they do hear about it from a journalist. So in a way, I think it makes... A, it's sort of... I'm not just saying this to make you feel good. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think tweets from me or from Jeremy Corbyn or Donald, even Donald Trump replace what journalism does. But it does... Look, it, it definitely gives you an audience. Um, I think it's interesting trying to keep up with where people are getting their um, information from. My sense is that younger people use Twitter... But lots of people don't. Lots yeah. of people use Facebook, but lots of younger people don't use Facebook. Snapchat, Snapchat Instagram. Yeah. Lots of young people say to me, you know, actually, we don't use Facebook. We we're now using Instagram or Snapchat, and so it's 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 finding. But but yeah, and it, you know, it, it, that that's the upside of there are lots of downsides of Twitter, um, but there are some upsides as well. And I always say to people who 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 are kind of new on Twitter, and say, don't read what people write about you on Twitter. That is like the first principle of Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they only write nice things about the two of you, yeah, but right. you know, definitely don't write what because you know. Yeah. It's it's like it can a, be toxic, can't it? It can be toxic, yeah. I mean, th it brings me back to actually Millie fandom, twenty fifteen. Yes, yes. I mean, obviously at the time, you know, a lot of people were saying, look, this shows that Twitter is not a medium for the real world because although there seemed to be an upsurge in young people yeah. supporting you, it didn't somehow translate in the polls. Jeremy Corbyn did somehow manage to translate that definitely that swing in the polls. What do you think has happened between now and then? The absolute boy, as they call him. <laughs> What has happened? Uh, so, I think a couple of things have happened. Um, Brexit happened. And I think for a lot of young people who maybe didn't vote or didn't think it was going to happen, I think it was a massive shock. And I think also Jeremy mobilised younger people 
in a way that I, I didn't do as well as he did doing that. Um, and I think he, you know, in a way, I think that is, look, it says one big uh, sort of party political lesson as opposed to Brexit of 2017. I think it's, I don't know where you were on the exit poll at 10 o'clock at night, but, you know, my some of my Labour colleagues had a behind-the-scenes documentary about themselves. Indeed. But I think if we're honest around this table, all of us, would have looked as surprised as them, actually. Yeah, about Stephen Kinnock there, perhaps. Well, I don't. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> no, I just Powell. in general. I just think. I think. I think it was a even surprise. Jeremy, maybe it was even Jeremy. It was you know it was a surprise for the whole mm. political class. Now, you know, I think it's really interesting understanding that. But one, just going back to the question, one of the reasons for that was the way that Jeremy, um, you know, mobilised young people, and I think that is incredibly. If I'm thinking about things that are, you know, positives about the country. Uh, despite the peril of Brexit and so on, I think that is a massive positive. I am not a centrist dad. You know, I don't <laughs> think to myself, um, nobody's actually claiming to be a centrist dad, are they? Tony Blair said he's not a centrist dad either. I think Jeremy uh, Corbyn said he, Jeremy he was. Ger- did he say he was? Did he say he was? But, you know, I, I sort of think the, the, the sense of the desire for change among young people, the sense of we want big things to be different, whether it's on tuition fees or climate change or the inequality or the way the country is, I think that's incredibly positive. I think the, ga- the, the, the Jeremy's galvanising of young people into politics is, is, a, is a... I mean, is a rem- I don't think you should underestimate it. It's a remarkable success. It's a reason to be cheerful. It is a reason to be cheerful, definitely. And, and yeah, definitely. And when it comes to all these stories you hear, like the budget and the election in the manifestos, yeah. you kept hearing... This was an Ed Miliband idea. This is a recycled Ed Miliband idea. This is Milibandism. And what did that make you feel? Did you, were you flattered or annoyed by all that? Oh, I mean, more flattered than annoyed. I mean, uh, look, there's two different aspects to this. There's one May sort of ism, if it is an ism, or not a wasm. Boom, yeah. The old ones are always the best. Uh, um, you know, when I heard, I wasn't actually in the country, when I heard that speech she gave on the steps of Downing Street, um, you know, I did sort of think, bugger me, that's kind of sounds a bit like, you know, some, it's kind of half Nigel Farage, sort of a little bit of Farage and a little bit of me. Um, which is sort of slightly yeah, monstrous thought. But the problem for her is that with one or two isolated examples, the energy price cap and... Zimbabwean style land seizures, which they now seem to be uh, uh, deciding <laughs> is a good, good idea. Yeah, uh, you know they haven't really followed through on it. I mean, I think one of the most interesting and in a way worrying things is not just what's happening on Brexit, but that the demand for change that I think was part of Brexit. I think it's really important. This, if, if you know, the political class tends to be wrong about quite a lot. I think one of the things that that people are not seeing enough of is that. Brexit wasn't just a vote about immigration in Europe. Of course it was. The people who voted for Brexit, I just see it in my constituency, one of the top-ranked constituencies for the Brexit vote, 70-something percent. It's the woman who said to me the day after the referendum, uh, I voted for a new beginning for my grandchildren. And I think that, I think that, you know, I think that is the sort of... Whatever happens in terms of the Brexit settlement that we get, I think that that mandate, I think that is the that is the the space in British politics. That's why I think what Jeremy's trying to fill, that's what Theresa May, to be to give her credit, was identifying on the steps of Downing Street. And I think that's actually her big failure, is an inability to carry on, to carry that through with that. And I think that's partly she feels caught between the 
where the Tory party is, free markets, all of that, and where her, some of her political gut you know, instincts are taking her. Interesting. I mean, what do you think about, and go back to your role now, your, your yeah, newfound my role. freedom. Yeah. I mean, how are you finding Lost it? an empire and not yet found a, and found a podcast, as we were saying. Yeah, how, how do you find it? I mean, because there, there is no sort of playbook for someone as young as you as a former Labour oh, leader. You say the nicest thing. You know Paul. what I mean? I mean, you had... Not for someone as young as you, Paul. <laughs> but you had, you had Neil Kinnock. He kept yes. quiet during Blair's time. Yes. Blair kept quiet during Brown. Obviously... Um, uh, um, and Brown was not unhelpful to you during your leadership, and you've been not unhelpful to Jeremy Corbyn. But you're much younger than any of those. Um, is this why the podcast appeals to you that actually you've still got a big future in politics, and this is a new way of doing it? Or I mean, how do you? Um, how do you yeah. Do how do I? How do I think about this? Um, look, look, I think I think um, it's important to support uh, the leader, and I think that you know, f- sort of. There were people who were more or less sceptical about Jeremy, but I think he proved his doubters wrong in 2017, um, in, in the election. Uh, I, I think, what role can I play, which I think is your question? Yeah. I, look, I want to be the person who helps provide some of the ideas that a Labour government can implement. And that's partly what the podcast is about. Now, if a Tory government wants to implement them, that's good as well. Um, and I think, you know, I'm quite struck in the listener feedback we get. It's not just Labour people who are listening. And, that's, and you know, it's important to know your listeners. And, uh, and therefore, we, you know, nobody's any doubt where I'm coming from. But you know, we want to, it's mainly about ideas, not necessarily a party political um, thing. But, you know, I want to, I, I think there's this, I think people are yearning for something, for big change. I think that's what Brexit was about. I think that's what Jeremy's success was about. Um, and I think that is, in a way, the call that has to be answered. And you can't just expect the leader to answer that call on their own. But or even the shadow cabinet on their own. Yeah. Because I know how hard it is when you're in the maelstrom of day-to-day firefighting, hand-to-hand combat in, a, in politics. How hard it is to do that. And you need supportive people thinking about ideas. And there are... Look, there are, to, to, to give credit to my colleagues, Rachel Reeves, who's next door, is working on her... Is obviously chairing the Bay Select Committee, but is also doing this work on loneliness. Mm. Um, uh, you know, uh, Lisa Nandy has got a centre for towns. You know, there, there's 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 people doing stuff, and this is my this partly podcast is my way of 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 contributing. And you really like the informality of it. I mean, if for example Jeremy were to say, "Look, I'd like you to formally chair a commission into." Basically, this, Paul, this is the Paul was looking for a story you know bit I mean? uh, of the podcast. <laughs> There's now a commercial break for the, for the, for the listeners. <laughs> now, a word from our sponsors. We haven't got any sponsors anymore. I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> but would you say no? I don't, I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I'm happy to support Fine. Jeremy okay. in any way uh, um, that I can. Um, but, you know, I think he's got great people around him. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of not really kind of. I'm not getting into the, yeah. you know, commentary, sort of running commentary stuff. I mean, I, I'm doing what I'm doing, and I think, you know... Well, let's, let's go back to what you do do best. Yeah. One of them is, of course, Twitter. Yeah. You have become a bit of a, a star on, on Twitter since you managed to wrestle back control of your account after the 2015 general yeah. election. So I'm going to give you really some tweets out here. Oh, go on, yeah. This and is the quiz bit. Was it pre-2015 or was it post-2015? No, 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 no. Oh. no. These are... Did, like was this a tweet from Ed Miliband? Yeah. Or was it a tweet from Ed Bulls? Good, okay, go, go, go ahead. <laughs> this is good. So, first of all, yeah. 
Great Kiss on the Balcony, our Royal Wedding Garden Party in full swing, Trestle Tables and Bunting Out, BBQ going nicely. Ed Balls. Paul? It's got to be Ed Balls. Yeah. He loves a barbecue. He loves a barbecue. Okay. Uh, I do love Moomins. Ah, uh, that's me. Oh, was he, do you remember what the context was? Yes, because the Milliverse did that. The <laughs> great man, Joel Corner, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, he said that, you know, he does these funny Milliverse timeline stuff, and he says, you know, Prime Minister Miliband balls his cabinet rigid with presentation on his trip to <laughs> Finland. It was a yeah, trip to Helsinki, and yeah, that cabinet has yeah. to sit through photo slideshow, mostly oh, Ed with Moomins. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. I said I do love Moomins. I've got the mugs as well. Uh, cheese and onion. I hate salt and vinegar crisps. That's me. That was you. Do you remember when that was? Uh, no. That was during an Ask Ed M hashtag in July 2011. Gosh. There's a fun are. fact there. You know, I've always, as a, as a twin, always loved salt and vinegar crisps. My brothers always loved cheese and onion crisps. And I could never, to this day, eat cheese and onion crisps because my, they're owned my, by my brother. And what? what? Do, do you two have the same thing? Well, you and uh, I think we may both like cheese and onion, oh, actually. Come on, um, could have a bit of differentiation. What, what, what's the? Uh, we've quite a <laughs> enough of that. Thank you very much. Uh, um, uh, but is there some? Is there some? Have you got someone to do a study of other twins? I don't know. I should do. There should be an academic study of the it's crisp preferences of twins. To be different. I think that's what it was. Anyway, uh, interrupt. Thanks to Anne's pantry in Bentley Me. for this cake, vanilla sponge. Definitely, yes. I think test match special. Was your no, test match yeah. uh, And finally, currently watching Saturday Kitchen. Bit disappointed. Ed Balls. Didn't go for food heaven. <laughs> the pork looked good. Yes. Well, you know that. He did. That. He did actually um, celebrity bake off, didn't he? Yes. And I, I confess, I turned down celebrity bake off. Oh, did, did you? you? I did. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Exclusively very revealed. To, not very good. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's basically. That is, I mean, is there any other? Sh- I mean, obviously, Ed's done Strictly. Do you, are you looking at doing something like you know? The I mean, obviously, I'm, the I'm obviously waiting for the offer from the jungle. Is, yeah. is that the way? The jungle. <laughs> No to the jungle. No to the jungle. No, I, I'm sort of. Uh, I tend to lay off the um, the celebrity um, <laughs> the celebrity doodah sort of thing he meets. Um, but um, I did get asked to do this crisp advert with Gary Lineker. Oh, did but, you? Yeah, we said no. To, Lindsay actually, who works for me, said no to that. I didn't even get to find out what it would have involved me Jeez, doing. Lindsay actually, yeah. you know, was the gatekeeper. She was the gate. She's a pretty stern gatekeeper actually. Yeah, so yeah. I still have the gatekeepers. <laughs> Um, I think something like Celebrity Mastermind, you go, would you go on that? That'd be That's good. a really tricky Celebrity Mastermind. What, what would your specialist subject be? Boston Red Sox, probably. Oh, wow. Baseball team. Oh. I'd be quite good on the Boston Red Sox, but I think it's... I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a sort of direct route to humiliation, actually. Well, David Lammy did it, didn't he? He thought that Marie Antoinette was a pioneer into cancer research and that kind of stuff. Is that right? Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> She was, One thing I did want to ask you was... Let them, eat, pe- let them eat penicillin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you remember uh, Reasons to be Cheerful, the actual song by Andrew in the Blockhead? Mm, I, it, were you too young? Probably, maybe I was too young. You it's probably more your time, actually. It was, Paul. actually. I'm, I'm slightly older than you, Ed, obviously. But I remember one, amongst these Reasons to be Cheerful mm. were sitting on the potty, curing smallpox, there's one, National Health Service glasses. There's another reason to be cheerful, mm. and another one, Bantu Stephen Biko. Mm. So maybe he was ahead of his time, but obviously you're not. 
familiar. Oh, we I do, we, I, could, yeah. we couldn't afford the music. But, but, <laughs> yeah. to, yeah. Well, yeah, because, because there's it's quite strict rules yeah, about using yeah. music. Yeah. Um, I'll write you a theme tune. You got a theme tune, haven't you? But I'll write you one. I would think, you? I, I did one for us. Did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gosh, well, that's, that's a pretty um, that's a pretty kind offer. <laughs> I, 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 I think the that's the gold standard. I just do want to mention this. Lindsay will say I'm just obsessed with this, but the gold standard is Pod Save America. Do you listen to Pod Save? No. America? Ah, no. Have you not heard of Pod no, Save America? No, I've heard of it. I'm not heard of Surely Malcolm Gladwell is the the gold standard. Mm, I think Pod Save America have had 120 million downloads since they started in January. Uh, I think it's they're catching up on us, then, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're on your heels. They really are on us. I wanted to ask you one final question, yeah, which is a question on. you're going to hate. Reasons to be cheerful. What's the reason to not be cheerful, Ed, at the moment? What reasons? I mean, obviously Brexit, I guess, for you. Is there anything else? Brexit. Sort of I'm not. You, I'm not cheerful about. I'm, no, I'm certainly not cheerful about Brexit, um, because I think. I think the whole way it's been handled, I mean, as my tweet suggested... Um, Ed's head is literally in his hands at this point, as he answers this I question. think the whole triggering of Article 50 without a plan, not levelling with people... I always felt the thing was that, 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 you know, in a way, I was saying to somebody last night, that speech that Theresa May gave where she said, if you're a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of nowhere, you know, in the Tory conference speech of 2016, I think that was a sort of signal of where she was taking things and and in a way she's such a prisoner of her party and 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 i think not saying to people sort of okay i understand why the people who are advocating leave pretended it was going to be easy before the referendum but i i felt and to be fair this is one thing i did say at the time when she took over like you've got to start leveling with people there are trade-offs going to be really tricky this and really difficult but the sort keep pretending it's going to be easy until it isn't um i think is just and and yeah, so I think it has been I think it has been badly mishandled. I'm not cheerful about Trump. Um, I think it's uh, you know we're meeting on the day when he appears to be moving his embassy to Jerusalem, declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. You know, just doing things which are going to be injur- deeply injurious to the peace process. Um, but you know, I, I, so I'm I'm deeply kind of uninspired or, or deeply worried about both of those things. But on the other hand, I think the people who are you know, trying to form an opposition to Trump, the people are trying to get a better outcome from Brexit. I mean, I think, I think you know, all the sort of action produces reaction. And, you know, I think... I think uh, I, I understand why people, including people who listen to this podcast, feel deeply gloomy, but there's, point, there's no point in, being, in the end being gloomy because gloom doesn't actually achieve anything. You've got to actually do something, try and do something about it. And is there one big idea, given that you're, you're really into cheerfulness and, and new ideas and new policy, is there one sort of untouchable idea that maybe you want to look at in coming weeks that untouchable actually, that should be touched. Um, when you say untouchable, I'm sort of playing um, for time here. But when you say untouchable, you know, it's like universal basic income used to be seen as oh, free money. Let's not go anywhere near that. That's irresponsible. Is there any any other sort of big idea that you think you'd like to get to grips with? I think if I had to name one area, it would be about technology. I think I think one of the things that is I don't really believe the people who say that you know everybody's going to lose their jobs tomorrow, um, but I think government tends to or people who don't know about these kind of things tend to overestimate the impact in the short term and underestimate the impact in the long term. I think technology is going to just an AI and all that is going to just change our economy and change our society. And I think at the moment there's a divide between the people who just say we've got to resist it and the people who say we've got to be dewy-eyed about it. And I think. 
the only way to deal with this is to shape it for progressive ends. And whether that's who's going to get the benefits of the technology in terms of the, you know, the gains from it, and how are we going to share them equally in the population? How are we going to deal with the fact that some people will lose their jobs and how can you have a just, just transition? Um, how do we deal with the sort of all the privacy issues that are raised by it, people owning their own data, all of that? So, so that's not sort of an idea in itself. But I actually sort of end up thinking this has got incredibly liberating potential. But we've got to engage, you know, you, you, we've got to engage with it more. Yeah. Well, that reason to be cheerful. I think we're nearly done. Thank you very much. Happy 100th birthday. Thank you very much. And here's to the next 100,000, 10,000 downloads and and, uh, and additions. And make sure you listen to Ed's podcast as well when you finish listening to it. Definitely. Definitely. All podcasts can succeed together. (laughs) Cheers. Brilliant. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.